grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope you're saying good because I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Um, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so, and I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means we can get to you. It may take us a couple hours, but we can get to you. The other thing that we do that's kind of cool is we just don't go in looking for ghosts because that would be unfair. When we do go into your, your house or apartment or building or business or whatever, we look for all the logical explanations that could be causing what's going on. And that, that includes medical, mental, whatever else is what we're looking for. And until we can stomp all that out, we can't give you anything conclusive, even though with ghosts you really can't give anything conclusive. But you know, once we get rid of all that, then we can start looking at the paranormal side. But it's a disservice. If you get a group that comes out that doesn't look at all that logical stuff, it's a disservice. All right? That's not what you want. Anyhow, welcome. We also have uh, branches, or affiliates rather, in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii. So if you have issues out there, get a hold of us. And you can reach us at the Cal you can reach California Haunts on Facebook. You can also find me over at TikTok at California Haunts, all lowercase. I'm also on Instagram, Ghosty Gal, low lowercase, and of course, all over Facebook. And Twitter, you can find us under Cal Haunts. Okay, back to business. If you're watching from Facebook today, please feel free to hit that and like button if you like what you see, and also hit that follow button. If you're watching from YouTube this evening, uh, there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner, and uh, if you click on that, the subscribe button will pop up. We have more than 450 videos sitting over there of different types of shows, shows like this, for example, you know, where I veer off the uh, paranormal path because I'm a journalist, I like to cover different things. And I like getting messages out to people. I like helping people. That's my goal, is to help people. And if I can use this show as a vehicle, that's what I'm going to do. Okay? Tonight, our guest is Nancy Collier. She's she's not only a psychotherapist, but she's a minister as well. And, uh, you know, with all, it's perfect timing because with the holidays here, a lot of anxiety going on. You know, family meets family, and things turn out, you know, things go one way. And, you know, it's not, I mean, it's not all Jerry Springer, but... It, you know, it's, it can get very stressful this time of year. And uh, we'll be talking to Nancy about, you know, anxiety and, and things we can do to help kind of smooth out that anxiety a little bit. I know I don't like big crowds. You'd be surprised. I don't like big crowds. I, I don't mind, like, if I go someplace like Disneyland and there's a crowd, that's fine. As long as I'm not stuck in, like, stuck in with people, I'm good. You know, I don't like to be in big bunches. So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to bring Nancy on. And uh, here we go. Good evening. Good evening. How are you great today? Great to be here. Ah, great. Good. Wonderful. Good to be here. Yes, smack in the middle of anxiety season. Tell me about you. Well, let's see. So I came out of a long history of uh, being an athlete, oddly mm -hmm. enough, um, a high-level equestrian, and built a consulting business for people to help them get out of their own way. So whatever the performance issues of anxiety and whatever was blocking people's potential, then ended up going back and getting degrees in psychology and um, always been drawn into the spiritual field. So became an interfaith minister, long history of Eastern spirituality coming out of a Buddhist home. And so, Putting all of these pieces together, I am a practicing psychotherapist with a private practice, and I write a lot of books about things that interest me and what I see in my office, what, what the human condition is. And these last two books that I've written, uh, one is called Can't Stop Thinking, mm -hmm. and it is about the way our mind kidnaps us and tortures us and frightens us and what we can do about that. And this last one being the emotionally exhausted woman, because I work so with so many women, but 
you know, both all genders and about this chronic condition that women are in where we know what everyone else wants and needs and are so good at providing it, but don't know what we want and need. And that's why we are tired down to our bone marrow. And so I'm just fascinated by whatever I am seeing in in my life, in my practice, in myself, in my daughters, in my everything. So that brings us to today. You know, when you talk about the exhausted mind, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people, I'm always going in fast forward. And mm. I live alone with my dogs. So, I mean, if I see a mark on my dog, I'm just going, oh, no, 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 no. What, what could that be? It's got to be a vet trip, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm also one of those people that when I was working, I would go home, lay in bed, and I couldn't sleep because it was still going through my head. Yeah. You know, the anxiety. Yeah, from the days just just permitting, and I, I, I can admit I'm still like that. Like I said, I'm home alone with my dogs and my animals, yeah. and I'm so paranoid. I've lost I lost two dogs last year to old age, but I'm still paranoid. I have a three year old and a fifteen year old, but I'm you know I'm paranoid. I'm just paranoid. That I'm gonna lose, you know, well, but I don't know. You know, if I can just make a real quick suggestion, here is, is to acknowledge when when we're worried, it's because we love these creatures. Mm-hmm. And we don't want them to go away. So we we need to take a step back and say, I'm worried because this matters to me, mm-hmm. right? But then we need to get into a conversation with our mind where we are witnessing the mind. We're not hijacked. We're not identified fully so that we're in the thoughts. We're in the worry. But we notice, oh, look at this. My monkey mind is kind of terrifying me. It's throwing me all these terrible catastrophes and what ifs. And then we can get into a conversation, which is, is this really helpful mm-hmm. to rehearse all the potential horrors that could befall me? What about if I waited to see what the vet says and decide what my worry level should be? I'll be prepared when I get there, right? Because the mind is always telling us, if I, if I rehearse the horror and prepare mm-hmm. and, and, and go over it and over it, I'll be better prepared if it comes. Mm-hmm. But that's actually false. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be perfectly prepared if I find out I need to worry. I'll worry then. Mm-hmm. So we get into a little bit of like a wise parent relationship with our own frightened mind. That's fa- absolutely fascinating. And yeah, I know it. I've convinced myself, like like with my 15 year old, he's old. That's that. He's gonna get sick. But with the young one, you know, that's for that's for my paranoia is with that. That's my anxiety is with that. With that, with the young one, you know, because you don't. Expect- and go with probability. I always suggest to clients, go with probability. Let's start there. And if I find out that something completely unlikely is true, I'll rise to that challenge then. But give yourself the opportunity to just go with probability isn't the society built on, on on anxiety though i mean even in the workplace i mean you know, there's always some butthead boss or somebody there that's that's that, that's putting the screws in you to get stuff done and then you're always worried about your job and all this is going on you got kids at home to deal with and blah 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. well life presents a tremendous amount of external stress what I write about in Can't Stop Thinking is how much of our stress, though, is what we do with mm-hmm. the external environment. Because, okay, that all exists, yes. But then do we foment that? Do we turn that into catastrophes when they're really kind of irritations? Mm-hmm. Do we keep bringing that back into our present moment when it isn't actually in our present moment. So what we can, we cannot control life. Life is always going to be sending us challenges. That's the human condition. But how do we want to be in relationship with these ups and downs of life and these difficult bosses and these challenging relationships and so on? That's the place where I uh, I teach people how to take the backward step so that whatever is going on in the mind, whatever is going on out in the world, there is a master back here who can stay okay, even in the midst of not okay content. 
I find this all very interesting. And now with the holidays here, there's a lot of anxiety for people to have to, you know, do the shopping, do the cleaning, do do the decorating. And in the meantime, you, family comes in to be the factor, and you may not get along with everybody that you're going to be seeing. So, what's a way to cope with to, to cope with all that? Because I know there's a lot of people understand. I mean, you go to the store, right? You know, and you run into the grouches because they're just so stressed out. You know, when you're shopping. Yeah. So yeah. How, yeah. How can people, how can people well, deal with that? Well, one thing that I have people noticing, and particularly in the emotionally exhausted category, but is noticing how much we should ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly telling ourselves what we should be doing, the holiday we should be having, the kinds of experiences we should get to expect, the family we should get to and how we should put on this glorious event every year and so on. And if we can just lower the decimal level of the shoulds and bring up this question that we so rarely ask ourselves, which is what kind of holiday do we want? Mm -hmm. What kind of holiday do we actually need? Is it one that has more rest? Is it one that is replenishing? Is it an adventure? We get so drowned in the shooting of what these holidays should look like. And if I can tell you for, as a, you know, somebody who's been in practice almost 30 years, very few of us are having that holiday. <laughs> the one we imagine everyone is living on Instagram, very few are experiencing that what we're supposed to get so bring yourself back into it do you want to actually create more spirituality in your holiday remember at one point these were about spirit they were about something deeper than going to the mall so what can we do to bring the spiritual into this if that's important to you what are your values mm -hmm. Get, take ownership of it so that, again, it's your holiday season. But like you say, we're so inundated with images on Instagram and Facebook. I, what comes to mind, too, are the, are the Hallmark movies. Mm. You know, everything's mm. a certain way. Or GAC Network, you know, but everything's a certain way, and that's what people see. And then it, it ends up turning, well, I'm not saying for everybody, but the next thing you know, it's Jerry Springer, right? <laughs> people are throwing right. food back and forth right. at each other. You know, right. it's hard because of what's going on. And I know I do that, too, with Facebook because I don't get to get out as much as I used to. And mm -hmm. so, like, I laugh at my friends that travel because I said, well, keep traveling because I live vicariously through you, you know. But it does right. make it difficult. It does make it difficult because you see how other, pe how, how, how other people are supposedly living. But you know, remember, that's an illusion. Mm -hmm. That's an illusion because we're so tied into identity in this mm -hmm. culture right now. And everything is meant to control the perception of you. I'm the kind of person that goes to Tahiti. I'm the kind of person that goes to museums. I'm the person that listens to this kind of music. We're in this sort of constant uh, sales campaign about who we are, right? A PR campaign running all the time. And it's a bit flipped these days. And to say, just to mention another book I wrote, because I write too much, but it's called The Power of Off, which is all about technology and how technology has flipped something very basic in us, where it used to be, let's say, about playing, let's say you're, you like music, about mm -hmm. having the experience of playing music or playing in a band. But now it doesn't really matter if you play music it matters that other people see you as a rock and roll person. So right. we've drained the actual experience out of everything we do. And it's all about how it makes you appear. Mm -hmm. So we have to wrestle back. What kind of life do we actually want to experience? Because to live on those fumes of how people perceive you mm -hmm. is entirely fragile and it's always changing based on your likes of that moment or the followers you have or what have you but we get to a certain point as grown-ups where we want to kind of step into our real life what is the experience you're having 
And are you nourished by that? Not, we can't live on that perception or that identity. I'm seen as that kind of person past a certain point. Maybe, maybe it's 40, maybe it's 35. I don't know. It changes for every person. But to investigate for yourself, how much of my life is about managing my perception? Because that, that's going to leave you depressed and anxious. Well, you know, it's funny because Facebook has created, a, you know, the social media has created a, something of a monster. Because, I mean, back in the old mm-hmm. days, it was keeping up with the Joneses, right? Mm. Mr. Jones, your next door neighbor would buy a new car and you, you know, you'd go over and fawn over the thing. And the thing is, well, I want one too. So then yeah, you save up yeah. your money, and get a new car. It was like, it was like always oh, new furniture. I want some too. But now it's just so out there and people are showing off what they have or what they may not have, but they're still showing it off, you know? And so it, it makes you, mm-hmm. it makes you, well, the anxiety goes up because you're eager to, to match up to that. And most people are walking around feeling not enough, mm-hmm. right? Whatever it is. I don't have what other people have. I don't mm-hmm. have what I should have. I'm not, I, I don't have that life that everyone else gets to live. So I'm either not enough or I'm deprived or I'm punished or whatever our storyline is. And again, all of that is to some degree determining our own value and our self, our sense mm-hmm. of self in some sort of comparison with what is smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. None of that exists. Everyone is out there posing and get on with the business of how do I create a life that is more meaningful for me? Or mm-hmm. is those things I imagine everyone is living, right? We, we throw all of our energy down the drain when we just busy ourselves with what everyone else is getting to have and we don't get to have. Well, okay, what are some baby steps I can take? to move towards what is the experience I want that they have? Is it the the shininess? Is it the travel? Is it the, let, let's get this beach on the ground out of the illusion of Instagram and all the nonsense, right? Let's, let's take it out of the virtual and bring it into, as they say, RL, real life, mm-hmm. right? How do I address my own life? And if I genuinely feel that there mm-hmm. is something I want that I don't have. I always think about it as being like when, when we were in elementary school and we were making paper ornaments and how fun that was for Christmas to make those ornaments, you know, make those paper mm-hmm. chains and stuff. Somewhere along the line, as we get older, it gets more commercial to where you feel like you have to have certain ornaments and certain types of things going on. But I remember even in my teens and my sister in, in her teens, and my brother-in-law, we were making ornaments because my mom was very artsy. Mm-hmm. So we would have sessions in the house, you know, for Christmas. And this is my sister, you know, in her, early to in like 18 19 and we would be making foam or you know styrofoam ornaments it was fun it was fun and i think yeah. you know i hate to say that people maybe might need to get back to the basics like it wasn't old in the older days but maybe maybe that's what we're, everybody's missing they need that that well there is yeah there's a huge craving right now for simplicity and presence right you know that's why things like adult coloring books and so on have caught on because we really are inundated with too much. There is a saturation place that we've reached where the level of distraction and the level of, you know, multitasking and what people desperately want is simpler, quieter, less. I cannot tell you how many people talk to me about, I want less in my life. We, we've sort of doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down on more in our culture, more options, more distraction, more, 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 400 streaming channels. Mm-hmm. And what most people feel is it's too much. It's mm-hmm. too much. And the system kind of goes on tilt. It goes like, I, I, I can't, I can't take in any, more options Mm -hmm. and people are moving more and more you see it to rural areas they're moving to organic farming they're moving towards you know simpler ways of living where we also connected with each other we had a conversation and we weren't on 14 other conversations at the same time we were in the room right and we were actually in one thing at a time this 
This idea that we can multitask and multitask well is false. The brain is designed to do one thing. You can only have one thought at a time. And we're losing the, the main thing that provides us with satisfaction and nourishment, which is the ability to think and go deep and process because we're just skating across 500 things. The brain is not designed to do that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't ultimately feed us, doesn't bring us any kind of real nourishment, which is to do hard things, spend time, go deep, go into one thing. That's where the brain, that's its juiciness. That's its sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about this, how do you get your brain, is it a case of reprogramming yourself to get to this point? Or is it just one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm done. I'm going to move off the country. Happens differently for everybody. So for most people, we are building really bad habits. We're building the habit of distraction. And, you know, the big tech companies, uh, our attention is dollars. Mm-hmm. So there isn't that much in it for them to break these bad habits, to help us break them. And these devices are incredibly addictive. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they trigger all sorts of endorphins. And we know, you know, from all our studies about what creates addiction, that these devices do it. So for most people, it's a kind of slower and more rigorous process of breaking these addictions that didn't happen overnight. We were the great experiment and we fell. But it starts with awareness. We have to start to become aware of what are the costs in our life? What, what is happening to us? What is happening to our ability to enjoy other people, to enjoy activities, to be present, to not feel anxious and depressed all the time, which these this technology encourages, it makes us feel like, oh, what else, what else, what else, what else is coming in? So first we have to become aware of what it's doing to us. Mm -hmm. And then we have to become aware of what are the behaviors. You know, every time I stand on the subway platform, am I racing for my phone? You know, while I'm with a friend having a coffee, do I have my phone on the table? When I get in bed, if I get in bed with a partner, do I immediately bring out my phone? If I get in bed alone, am I texting until I fall unconscious. What, what, how am I using these distraction uh, drugs in my own life? And where can I take some baby steps to maybe here is a place I tolerate boredom for three minutes. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do while I wait for the bus. Huh, mm-hmm. Maybe I see what that feels like before I reach to anesthetize it. So mm-hmm. first there's awareness. And then we start to, like we would with any bad habit, we just start to see, what if I do it a little less here? What if I say at meals, I won't bring out text? Little ways. I make my bedroom text-free. Or when I'm with a friend, I leave my phone in my bag as opposed to having it available as if I'm being called by the president or something. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very conscious process for most people. Not too many people wake up and just move out to Montana and have had enough, although it happens. Right, right. It's just, I mean, I even I have dinner guests that come over and, you know, we're in the middle of a conversation, the phone gets whipped out. It's and so strange. Thing is, am I that boring that you have to, you know, whip, yeah. The, whip yeah. the phone out to be looking at stuff? You know what? Or if we're watching a program that somebody wants to watch, I can't name any. But it happens, you know, this happens in a lot of yeah. households. Where you're watching a program, everybody voted to watch this program, yet the half half of the room is on the phone. Sure. We parties and nobody's in the room. Everyone's talking to someone who's not at the party. Right. So, you know, those are moments to actually you can say to a friend, hey, while we're together, right? I would prefer if we're just together and that we both put our phones away. It takes a lot of courage to share a buck the system. But what I have found, and so many people have reported to me, is that when people hear that, they're actually happy to have the invitation to land in one place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you give a couple, because I work with couples also, you know, mm-hmm. you give a couple 
a homework assignment to spend their date night or whatever it might be phone free. At first, there's like, eh, what if the kids, eh, something. But then they're actually, they come back and they report, oh, my God, I feel like we haven't had a conversation in eight years. Mm-hmm. Right? So people are delighted to be invited into presence. They really are. And all these habits we're building, which, as you say, you know, insightfully sort of they they dilute our natural human sort of um, empathy or not even empathy, but good behavior that you wouldn't do that because you care about the other person. You wouldn't whip the phone out while you're with someone because it's just we, you know, we need to return to these sort of, there's some etiquette to how one behaves around another human because we care about them. And, you know, one of the things that technology, and I write a lot about it in The Power of Off, has done is it's sort of reduced us to this lowest common denominator of what never would have been acceptable because we care about the other, uh, is now is now off the table. It's, it's, it's a it's a carnival out there. It's a free for all. Nothing nothing matters. The behavior is is as long as it serves the technology, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm really encouraging people also to check back into. What's okay with me, right? Because we see all around us bad behavior and really disrespectful behavior of the preciousness of a human interaction does not mean that I want to live that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So taking uh, ownership of our own behavior. I was just going to say that because it also desensitizes us because we're so involved with, 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 with what we're doing on the phone or on the computer and stuff. There, there, there's, the, there's that sensitivity is gone. And you can see it in a lot of ways. I mean, in, in different even professions you know some doctors are totally de- desensitized absolutely and that's what's happened right that and we witness these horrible things constantly and the children witness uh, sorts of videos that are ragingly violent mm-hmm. and we have an attitude now that it's all some sort of virtual game mm-hmm. the way we live is it, it's not a virtual game and we've lost touch with something very fundamental there about what is reality mm-hmm. and how do we want to, again, behave? Most people do not want to behave this way, but this has become licensed, you know, to race to the bottom, mm-hmm. race to the ethical bottom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that may not be a great sales uh, campaign in terms of changing behavior, but what is a great sales campaign is when we behave that way and we operate that way, we end up feeling pretty crappy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We feel anxious. We feel depressed. We feel cut off from meaning. We feel not so good. One hard choice to put our phone away or do the right thing, mm-hmm. even when there's pressure to do otherwise, feeds us tenfold. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, all those conversations with other people while we're in the room with our friends. So ultimately it's paradoxical. What nourishes us is the harder thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other thing I was just thinking too with cell phones is that if you look back 20 years ago or 10 years ago, when was it 10 years ago that cell phones first started to come out and people started carrying them around, it was all, it was, it was mainly adults and business people that, that had them. Mm -hmm. But now there's so many kids young and old that, that have the cell phones. And mm. I don't, you know, and, and what and what what I think is going on too is it used to be on Saturdays. What happened? But the parents that didn't want to babysit their kids, they dumped them at the movies. That's where they put them. Right. And now they dump a cell phone on them. Yeah, babysitter. Or, or yeah, or, or put them in front of a video game. You know, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. now they can deal with it. That's why it was interesting to see what happened during the COVID lockdown when everybody got locked down because they were stuck at home with their kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, to see the reaction yeah. of the, some of the parents, yeah. and it played true to the fact that a lot of the parents couldn't couldn't cope because they had to actually be in the same room with their kids twenty four hours a day. It's sad. And listen, moms are already and dads too, but 
incredibly emotionally exhausted. They're already spent from taking care of everything. Mm -hmm. And so when COVID came, it really was a tipping point for many women where, you know, it does take a village Mm -hmm. and they're already the village master and the mayor and all of the above. And then they were in charge of, for the most part, the women were in charge of all those roles that all those other village members play, the teachers and the friends and the relatives and all those other village masters landed to some extent on mom and, and dad too, but or mom and mom, but whoever was in the home. Mm-hmm. And women who were already sort of perilously hanging on doing the emotional labor, having careers, you know, uh, taught to be selfless from the moment they are are born right and that they're supposed to be able to get their needs met by providing the needs for others they're already hanging on by a thread and then you add in now you're responsible 24 7 Mm -hmm. for all these lives and filling the needs of them it was so and it, it is just unfathomable and immeasurable to think of where that energy is to come from, where that patient, it, it is, it is remarkable what, what we were able to do as moms, as parents, uh, coming out of this time. But it's also left our children in a state where there really is no emotional resilience. Mm-hmm. You know, more, I talked to a camp director friend of mine this past summer. And she said she'd never seen more kids leaving camp from basic squabbles in the cabin and so on these two and a half years away from having to deal with other humans has left many of our children really unable to know how do you compromise how do you deal with disappointment as parents and you know the the rise in helicopter parenting as well where we swoop in so many parents and take care of it or fix the situation so they don't experience discomfort. That's mm-hmm. not helping anyone. No. And so the only choices we have, right, are we go into quiet rooms where there's no problem, mm-hmm. right? No one's going to bother us, or we remove ourselves, or we make the other person have to change. These are not viable solutions for children entering the world. The COVID had a lot to do with being able to control our entire environment. Welcome to the world. That's not how we roll. No, no, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, it's I a saw big a issue with kids. Being a journalist, you know, I, I'm always looking at this stuff. I'm, all, I'm I, you know, because I observe. That's what I do. So mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I go to Walmart, you know, on those days that I run out of supplies, I'm, I'm looking at what's going on at Walmart, you know, and all these different yeah. places and how yeah. everybody reacted. You know, just the anxiety that I put on people. How can people, you know, if you're, if you're, if you've got to say, like you say, take a step back from everything, but what, what are good ways to do that? What's a good first step? I mean, if you're, if you're under, you know, anxiety or stress, what's a good step to t- start taking, you know, the step back? Right. So the first thing is always, as I said before, to acknowledge, right? To acknowledge how challenging mm-hmm. this life is to stop there. We skip that that what is asked of us and the level of worries and you know now we add on will there be a planet you know the fires and the floods and the sort of uh biblical plagues um we we really do have enormous stresses Mm-hmm. And so the first thing, and then we're trying to live these lives and throw these holiday parties and, you know, manage just being human. So it starts with a lot of self-compassion. That's the first step. And normalizing, hey, it's okay to be anxious. Of course you're anxious. We have to start to build a relationship with our own experience that's friendly and welcoming. That's the Without that, we can't get far, right? To stop mm-hmm. blaming and judging ourselves for being anxious, being, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? How do I fix it? Mm-hmm. Of course, we're anxious. And then from there, we, again, start to notice what's happening in my own universe. 
I can't control sort of tsunamis, but I can control how am I talking to myself mm-hmm. inside my own head, right? What's the ticker tape going through my own mind? So the first step is we start to shift our identities from the one who's talking in our mind to the one who's listening to our mind, right? Who's that mind talking to? Mm-hmm. That's when we start to own that identity and feel that experience and what of what I'm being told and engaging with and, and, and taking as truth, do I really need to or do I even believe? Because, you know, we have this idea that because it comes out of our mind, it's true. Mm-hmm. Entirely false. Entirely false. Most of it, I'd say about 95% of it is redundant. We, our mind has told us that before. And also, um, a lot of it is just a result of all these narratives we've constructed going all the way back to childhood. So... Mm-hmm. When we lose this ultimate faith that our thoughts are true, now we start, it starts to get interesting because it's like, huh, well, let's reality check that. Or does that thought help me or hurt me? Mm-hmm. Or what do I want to do with that thought? So we get in the driver's seat again as the listener of the thoughts. Most thoughts have very little uh, there's not much in them that we want to pay attention to. We don't have to go on the ride that every thought offers. Even though we think we do, we don't have to bite the hook. Mm-hmm. So the, one of the first ways of breaking this anxiety chain is, again, stepping away from our identification with our own thoughts. That'll take you further than any bubble bath or any sound, you know, uh, musical accompaniment that we put on to calm ourselves, whatever it might be, start to pay attention to the inner dialogue and what we're doing with the world inside ourselves. I cannot suggest that more strongly. It's the mind that creates our our real suffering. Mm-hmm. Not not the mind, but our belief in it and our identification with, I am the author of those thoughts. They are true. I must engage with them. I am them. Turns right. out you're not. Right. I was just going to ask you, because you, you mentioned like a soothing bath. I, I, what about meditation? Meditation is the practice of what I'm describing. So that, you know, 10 minutes a day or five, whatever whatever you can do, five, 10, 15. And everyone thinks it's so difficult, but all we need to do is get still, get quiet and pay attention to either the breath or to something else. And then when the mind is throwing you thoughts, come back to the breath, come Mm -hmm. back to the breath. You know, as we go along, there are other forms of of practice so that you can literally just watch what your mind is coming up with you're just observing the mind and here's where it gets interesting because we're such a sort of judgment-based culture and reason-based culture you know we immediately think i want this thought i don't want this thought and so on the attitude of mindfulness of meditation in general is whatever comes it's welcome we're just observing. We're taking a snapshot for, let's say, 10 minutes of the movie stream going on in our head. That's all. And so there's a kind of curious or friendly relationship with what's coming. Not, not oh, God, that makes me that kind of person. Or, oh, no, I shouldn't have that thought. That's not meditation. That's just sitting and ruminating. Mm-hmm. we're watching like you would watch images on a screen. Huh, look at the weather in my mind. That's another way of looking at it. Images on a screen or what's the weather in my mind? Another way we can do meditation is to just pay attention to the sensations happening in our body because we're so, most of us, you know, we walk around 
right above the shoulders in this little box, our head. We forget we even have a body, mm-hmm. right? We feed it all sorts of crap. We, we, don't really, we don't really spend time, if you will, in it, in, you know, inhabiting our body, embodied. These are all ways of saying the same thing. And so one way of doing meditation is to drop your attention from this little me who lives in the head, me walking around in the world, mm-hmm. to what's happening in my body. That's mm-hmm. simple. And just what I re- recommend with everyone who comes to see me is several times during the day, we just simply take a conscious breath. So stop and drop, I call it. You stop whatever the trains, you know, of thought. Mm-hmm. Drop into your body and take one conscious breath. There is not one person on the planet who doesn't have time to take one. People literally will say to me, I don't have time for that. If you don't have time for one conscious breath, we have a bigger problem ahead. But that right away drops us into presence, out of the storyline, fixing, solving, figuring out, improving ourselves, whatever we're doing. And it just brings us into the present moment. And that's like taking a vacation. Because mm-hmm. we all need a vacation from this monkey mind. That's, even though we all need a vacation from the holidays, what we so often need a vacation from is our own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about the people that say it's impossible for them to slow their minds down? Is there a way for you them to- You don't have to. You don't have to slow your mind down. What we're talking about is getting in a relationship with that racing mind, right? So again, the, the, the goal here is not to stop thought. The, mm-hmm. the, you know, the heart beats, it, it moves the blood, right? And the pancreas, I don't know, processes insulin, right? It, the liver, takes the toxins out the mind produces thoughts it's it's not going to stop and that's not our goal our goal is as i said before and i talk a lot about in can't stop thinking is huh look at this mind going wild there who is it talking to and do i have any interest in at the moment in what it's kind of for lack of a better word vomiting up at me sorry um but what it's shouting at me or what it's whispering we stop being aligned and merged with the thoughts so that's this amazing skill that i am campaigning to get taught in more and more schools where just because you're having a thought doesn't mean you have to think it okay Makes sense. So throw that out there that it's about stopping the race. Maybe you have a busy mind. No big deal. No Mm -hmm. big deal. And even the content of the thought is not what we're talking about. We're talking about shifting your place, your location to being an observer of your own mind. Mm The other thing I was thinking too of meditation, because I, I like to meditate out in my backyard. Ah, and beautiful. I get to that point, you know, I get myself down to where I can, I can do this, but I'm listening to all the bird, you know, the birds, the, the, the different animals. Mm. Because you'd be surprised, you know, listeners, you, you'd be surprised what you can hear when you actually listen. It's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And it's so wondrous. It brings joy. Mm-hmm. And that's another meditation that people can play with, which is to, let's say you're walking through the park, mm-hmm. shift out, uh, first notice, oh my God, I'm lost in a thought train, I'm, I'm on a beach in Hawaii, or I'm fighting with my boss, or I'm replaying the conversation with a friend, or I'm, I'm way here, I don't, I haven't seen anything going on, right, in the park at all, right, could be a beautiful May first day, but mm-hmm. Go, go into your senses for just a moment and notice what am I seeing? What am I seeing? And look without necessarily labeling, oh, tree. Oh, when does that tree, you know, bloom? Oh, you know, and wasn't it born in, you know, Guatemala? And don't, don't go into the story of it. Just see the features of what you're seeing. Then you can go and hear 
can I just hear what I'm hearing in this moment? Again, not labeling, oh, that's a that bird and that bird migrate. And do that with each of your senses. What am I smelling? What am I tasting? And what am I feeling? Feeling your feet as it walks across that path, whatever it might be, the air against your skin. And go through your senses in that very direct way. It is like a an express train into the present moment. It's mm-hmm. remarkable. You're actually where you are, not lost in a story in your mind. And and it's interesting you bring up sound because sound is very, very powerful in that sound invites us to sort of take that backward step and receive the sound. For some people, sight is a little more challenging because the feeling is almost like you have to go out and grab the image. There's a more of a doing nature, but sound really invites us backwards to, we don't control what sounds we're hearing. We don't control like we do with an image. Where do we look? This is just, we get to receive it. So it's a beautiful place. Sometimes if we're just sitting in a room and we want to get present, just notice the sound. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I bet it has an impact on you, the consistent meditation, yes? It does, yeah, even on my health, even on my health. Ah, yes. Yeah. What What do you find? I have congestive heart failure, so once I was diagnosed, I started to meditate a lot more, and mm. I'm not a doctor, okay, I'm not mm. a doctor, but once I started to get to that, real, to that realm where I could relax more, my heart got mm-hmm. better. I still have heart yeah. failure, but I'm at the point where it, it's 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 be, it, it's in a normal phase. It's wow. been like that for three or four years. But I started the meditation stuff for that because I thought, you know what, I've got too much going on here. I need to yeah. slow down, otherwise it's not going to get any better. And that's what I did. And it's a, your your you know your poster story there because we imagine in some insane way that what's going on in our mind is not going to affect what's going on in our body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the emotionally exhausted women that I wrote this book for talk about that, that they, they're so, you know, they're, they're physically depleted from all the activity going on in their own mind. And, and it manifests as physical depletion. Yes. And so, you know, it might not manifest as, as heart failure, but right. it manifests as being fatigued and burnt out and tired into their bone marrow and that is very often not from running marathons and not but from trying to manage too much in their mind Mm -hmm. and take on too many responsibilities and be everything to everyone as we are taught and to be at all costs likable likable just be likable be you know be pleasing and the cost to our energy and physical well-being is, it's immeasurable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to hear that you've actually seen the effect. What we know for sure, too, in many MRI studies with meditators is, interestingly, it also builds our part of our brain where there's compassion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It builds a sense of spaciousness when you do consistent meditation. Patience, it builds all these incredible uh, virtues, skills, whatever we want to call them, abilities. Um, and that's just can be from sitting and watching your own mind with friendliness and with curiosity. Mm-hmm. Right? Like- the body also responds when we spend time in it. When we inhabit it, the body rewards us. Right. And a lot of people don't realize, too, that stomach problem you have, that's stress. A lot of the yeah. time it's stress. My dad was funny. He, he had a real dry sense of humor. And I remember he's because he was really under a lot of stress working and stuff. And he'd say, you know what? I know a TV show they can make, a new soap opera. And I said, well, what is that? He says, we'll call it as the stomach churns. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's, that's how he great. was. But. He recognized how stressed he was all the time, you know, because the work it's, it's sad because it, it's gotten a lot worse. The movie I think about is um, Disney's Wally. Mm. How they were on that spaceship because nothing grew, supposedly grew on the earth anymore. 
and they all got. I, I didn't see it. They were all really overweight, and they're all sitting in chairs, and they don't oh, have boy. to walk anywhere. They get wheeled everywhere. Food comes to them, you know, uh, out of the ceiling, yes. and all this stuff. Right. And then eventually, eventually, they find a green plant. Oh wow! On the Earth, they actually find this because they're going all over the galaxy looking for a green plant so they can right. repopulate the Earth. So eventually, what happens is all these all these people have to get up off their duffs after being complacent for a hundred years or whatever it is, you know, cause everything's added to them and actually go out and work the fields and stuff. And so everybody's a lot happier because they actually get to not rely on sure. technology anymore. That's right. It's perfect. It's just yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we do tend in this culture anyway to sort of just meditate, right? Mm -hmm. So if we have a bad stomach, we take some sort of, you know, uh, don't, don't make the stomach not create acid right. or take whatever we do. And so often, as you were really wise to go deeper, right, we're just treating the symptom. Yeah. And this whole way that we're living, you know, a lot of what I give talks about and, you know, talk to people about is the way that we're living as human beings is out of sync with what we need to be well. Right. And the idea that we can get our well-being through, you know, another Instagram post or Pinterest or Facebook or chasing, you know, more products or better health, all of it really leads us to despair, to anxiety and depression and disappointment mm -hmm. because we are not wired that way as human beings. And so if we just keep medicating the symptoms of our uh, sort of um emptiness if you will right? right nothing gets better we just get more stuff but we feel even more empty we want to get back to connection but that's the other thing i see on facebook too especially this time of year where there's parents that are on facebook begging their followers or begging their friends to say hey can you do me a favor and not take videos of you guys opening your christmas presents we can't afford yeah. that many presents yeah. You know, you guys have them stacked up. It makes yeah. me feel bad. It makes my kids feel bad. Can you not do right. that? It's sad when you see that because, I mean, that that's what we've become. You know, we have to show off everything we do. It's, horrif it's, it's horrifying. I, I would say it's wonderful that the parents ask for that. And also, eventually, as parents, we do have those conversations with our kids, which are some people have more and mm -hmm. spend it that way. And some people try and create love through things is also part of it. And part of life is learning to tolerate the differences between us and other families. And maybe we don't value things mm -hmm. so much, or maybe there's a way we can create that love that's different. And our life is different than mm -hmm. theirs. So mm -hmm. double down on what do you value? We value being kind to each other we value giving to the local charity we value that you know whatever it is that you did for your friend that was so so thoughtful bring it to what matters to us that's also a role of parent mm -hmm. it's not only because very often we can't correct that other family and our work is not pretending there aren't differences there are right. multi-millionaire families and their families that can get one thing for the whole year you know and we have to make space for this sort of miracle and catastrophe that that it includes all of that mm -hmm. right and how do i parent if i don't have what they have how do i parent in a way where that child still feels loved and mm -hmm. not not enough and not mm -hmm. deprived that's my my charge mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great, great if they don't make the videos, but uh, I'm always about what it is we can actually do that we can do. Wonderful right. when people participate, but there's never going to be a hiding from these fundamental differences in, in what we get to have right. financially, right. intelligence, body, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and that goes back to, to the years ago when you would make gifts for each other. Yes. Because it was yes. thoughtful. It was something very thoughtful. I always okay. think about it. My, my family laughed at me over Thanksgiving, but I said, you know, I'm still watching the Waltons. And yeah. they go, why is that? 
why are you watching Little House? Because it's it's a simpler time. It's a time when people, like you say, it wasn't so commercialized. People were poor. It was, it was the depression. So you can see how people acted with one another. And maybe we need more things like that for these for the younger set to watch, you know, so they can learn from that. That's right. Not maybe. Yes. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. We're on the same page here. <laughs> Well, you know what? This hour went by really fast. I appreciate you coming on. This is fantastic. I My had a ball. Pleasure. It was My fun pleasure. talking to you. I can say we're on the same page. And yeah, and, yeah, and that, that was just it's a wonderful thing. And I think right. people are going to get a lot yeah. of takeaways out of this. A lot of good, good positive takeaways. Love to come back sometime, too. That would Next be great. Book. Gotcha. Okay. How can people right. find you? So the two last books, this one that's come out just now is The Emotionally Exhausted Woman on Amazon mm -hmm. and everywhere, but the one before is Can't Stop Thinking, also everywhere. And my website is nancycollier.com with one L, C-O-L-I-E-I.com. And uh, yeah, reach out and I uh, always get back at soon, not always the same day, but I will get back to you. Cool. And I'll definitely ask you to come back on because this conversation was great. I loved it. It was great. Terrific. Right to great point. to be here. Okay, Nancy, you have a good rest of the night. And uh, I'll, talk, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, that was Nancy Collier. Um, learned a lot from her. And uh, going back to basics, there's no issue with it. I go back to basics a lot. I mean, my friends laugh at me because I'm forever doing stuff the old way. And I, I like doing stuff the old way. I do. You know? Anyway, I'm going to give you Nancy's contact information and all that at the end and uh, the, the books that she's got out where to get them. And uh, I want to thank you all for coming today. And again, if you like what you see today, please share it with five people. If you hated what you saw today, um, share it with five of your enemies. Equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And also check out our YouTube site at youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio because you'll pick up on all our videos over there. You can check them out. And, and if you subscribe, that little ghost in the corner again, and that little pesky ghost. If you subscribe to the videos, that'll give you access to all those. Plus, when we have new shows coming up, it'll notify you of those too. So you can be on, you know, on the waiting list for those when they air. Okay. We also have a website, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Um, I'm in the process of doing a major update and change on that. So uh, bear with me on that. But again, I want to thank everybody for coming. And again, if you watch, if you were watching from Facebook and you like the show. Please hit that like button and that follow button. Uh, same thing with YouTube. Subscribe. And check, like I said, check us out at Instagram under Ghosty Gal. Check us out at TikTok under California Haunts, all lowercase. And check us out on Twitter under Cal Haunts. Okay? Anyway, here's her information. And then we're going to close this out. So hang on. Let me do this. You know how I'm uh, pushing my buttons? Here we go. So that website is nancycollier.com with one L in Collier. And the, the books are Inviting a Monkey to Tea and Getting Out of Your Own Way. Can't Stop Thinking and The Power of Off. I'm trying to read these things. I have old eyeballs. And then the other book is The Emotionally Exhausted Woman. I would love to read that because, boy, I'll tell you, the older I get, the more emotionally exhausted I get. And, there, of course, the books are available at Amazon. Okay, guys, I'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.